on the 15th day of the seventh month. When you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. Now, God is the one who is speaking this, and he is speaking to his people, the Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jewish people. So again, verse 39, on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the produce of the land, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a solemn rest, and on the eighth day shall be a solemn rest. You shall take on that first day the fruit of the splendid trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs or branches of leafy, leafy trees, and willows of the brook. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in these booths, that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Thus Moses declared to the people of Israel the appointed feasts of the Lord. God, we come to you again, and we just ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit and his presence with us and in us, would you reveal to us the truth that you have for us today? God, help us to be vulnerable with you in this moment. Reveal those things in our lives that maybe we've been holding on to or hiding, trying to hide, that we need to bring before you to truly experience the freedom that you've given to us. We ask this, I ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, amen. So here God is speaking to his people, the Jewish people, and he says, I, I want you to have a festival. And at the end of chapter 23 is really the seventh, the last festival that God has been describing that he wants um, his people to, to practice. And this is called the Festival of Tabernacles, or in the Hebrew, Sukkot is I think how it's pronounced. And so this is a festival that God is instructing his people. He wants them to participate in this. And he says, so every year in the seventh month, on the 15th day, I want you to go and I want you to make a temporary shelter. I want you to take palm leaves, palm branches, big branches of trees, and I want you to make this temporary hut. And I want you to live in it for seven days. Now, on the first day of this, and you're going to do it for, for, for this week, right? And on the first day of the week, I, no work. No one works. Woohoo! Yeah, great. Awesome. First day of the week, no work. Last day of this feast and festival, no work. Again, oh, sweet. Rest on the front end. Rest on the back end. I'm tracking. This is good, God. I like this, all right? And even better, he says, okay, the rest of the time, here's what you're going to do. Well, before we dive into what he wants them to do, we need to understand, and this is what it says here. He says, uh, verse 40, and you shall take on the first day the fruit of splendid trees, branches, willows, and all those different things. And he says, actually, if you go back up to verse 39, he says, when you have gathered in the produce of the land. So prior to this feast, what have God's people done? They've gone out to the, into the harvest, and they've gathered their produce, they've gather, gathered their veggies, they've gathered all their grains, and they've put like in cans, mason jars, they got them stored in the garages, they got them in the cupboards, they got them in their pantries. I mean, they're stocked full of all this blessing from the Lord, all the harvest. 
so they can see all these amazing things that God has given to them that they're full, that they have all that they need from the very land that God said he would give them, and he gave them. So the land there where they're pulling all this harvest from is a land that God gave them. And then all this produce and veggies and grains all that are stored and stocked and they're ready, that's all from the Lord too because it's from the land that the Lord gave them. So all this harvest is in. So they've gathered all of that in. And then God says, I want you to take a week and I want you to go camping. I want you to go camp for a week. And then he says, why? Well, if you look at verse 39... He says, you shall celebrate the feast of the Lord seven days. Verse 40, the end of the verse, he says, you shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. Verse 41, you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days. The end of the verse, you shall celebrate it in the seventh month. So like God wants them to understand that this whole festival, this feast of tabernacles is to be a celebration. You're to rejoice. You're, you're no work on the front end, no work on the back end. And the whole week, I just want you to party. I just want you to celebrate. Everything, your, your pantries are full. You're full. You have everything that you need. And he says, I want you to celebrate. And literally, that means leaping and dancing and like moving in circle. And maybe you've seen that, like people holding hands, moving in a circle, and they're dancing around and doing all these traditional dances. You know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Andrea and myself and our girls had the privilege of going on the BCM spring break trip. And one of the nights that we were there, they had square dancing. Now, it had probably been since sixth grade since I'd done any kind of square dancing. All right, so it had been a while, and they taught us all the square dancing and stuff. And all these people, you have a partner, and you're running. I was spent by the time it was all over. I mean, but you're running, and you're leaping, and then all this stuff, and you're going down the line, and you're, it's all crazy stuff. You're holding each other. I mean, who's square dance before? Okay. Google it later for those that don't know what I'm talking about. I look like an idiot up here. Okay, so, so, it's, square, so it's leaping. All, and then afterward, afterwards, square dancing, some of the Nepali friends that were there, they kind of got, they, we got in circles, and then they taught us a traditional Nepali dance where we're in a circle, we're holding hands, and you're doing all this. Kind of picture, that's what's going on this week of this festival of tabernacles, just incredible celebration and joy and everything that God wants them to do. It's this week of just incredible, intense joy and celebration. But here's my problem with this whole feast. Here's my problem with it. You got to camp for seven days. You got to do this DIY little hut. That does not sound like fun to me. Living in that for seven days? Uh Uh-uh. Like, not me, right? Like, I am not a camper. My family knows that. Like, that sounds a bit, so I would not be looking forward to the Festival of Tabernacles if it it were me. I'd be like, are you kidding me? I got to go cut down palm branches and branches from trees. I got to make this little DIY hut, which I don't know how to do. It's going to look horrible. And my roof is made of palm leaves. What if it rains? Ever think about that? What, what if it gets cold? What if, like, the temperature drops below freezing and you're stuck in this little house? What are you going to do? Like, what if it's one of those 90-degree, like, summer nights? Or, you know, and, and, and you're just, like, you wake up in a pool of your own sweat. Like, really? That doesn't sound too appealing to me. That sounds miserable to me. Like, I grew up camping. Like, my parents, they bought a camper, and it was about 30 minutes from where we grew up, from where I lived, and on the weekends, not every weekend, but some weekends, we'd go out to this camper, and there's absolutely zero to do at this campground. 
nothing except sit in this little camper, me and my sister and my parents, no air conditioning in this camper, and we just sit outside and just do nothing. It was horrible. Like, all I heard was, like, this guy singing at the, like, I don't know where it was, like, the, the, the store, the campground store, and he kept singing the song over and over, like, just a swinging, I think is the name of it, right? I still can hear it in my head. That's how miserable, and so my, and then we sleep, then you have to, like, get in the camper, and then you, like, get on the little bunk bed, and the ceiling is, like, this close to your head, right? And you can barely turn. I mean, that's miserable. And you're going to tell me I got to go live in a hut for seven days that I got to make with palm leaves, Right, camping is not something that I will look forward to. I've had horrible experiences of it. I remember taking teens on a youth group trip, mission trip, camping. I don't know what I was thinking. And I remember one night, it was completely monsoon, like rain. I mean, just deluge of rain. Tents were flying everywhere. There was no place to go other than like the van. The girls ended up like sleeping in the girls' restroom. The guys ended up being in the guys' restroom, making fun of the girls sleeping in the girls' restroom. All right, it was just crazy. We actually have a tent, a six-person tent. More people have used our tent than we have. And the only time I've ever been in that tent was when I set it up inside. So I read the Festival of Tabernacles and go, uh-uh, that's not me. I don't want to do that. That sounds absolutely dreadful to me to have to go make a hut and live in it for seven days. Unless. Unless. That little hut reminds me in some way of just how miserable my life really was before God set me free. That all sounds miserable until that little hut and those palm leaves remind me just how miserable life was when I was in my family. We were slaves back in Egypt. And now we're going to sit around in that little hut and our grandparents and whoever, they're going to tell stories that they've heard throughout generations of just how miserable Life was being a slave in Egypt. And when you start hearing those stories, you'll be thankful for this little hut. And you'll be thankful that we're not living that life anymore, that God has set us free. And that's exactly the purpose of this festival. Look at verse 43. Verse 42, he says this, you're going to dwell in these huts for seven days. And then verse 43, why? That. Prepositions are a beautiful thing in the Bible. Don't miss prepositions in the Bible. Little, little teaching moment here, like how to read the Bible. Prepositions usually explain, give you a purpose or a reason. So God has just told his people, I want you to live in these huts for seven days. Why? That, that your generations may know that I'm the one who caused you to live in those booths when you were set free, when I set you free, when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. He says, I'm the Lord your God. You see, God is saying the whole purpose for this festival, the purpose for the palm branches is to remind God's people that he has set them free from over 400 years of slavery in Egypt. Can you imagine a life like that? Can you imagine hearing the stories and stories and stories of your family members of years gone by that died as slaves in this land of Egypt and, and, the, and the scars and the wounds and all that they had to endure 
And so this little festival is to remind God's people that God has set them free. But not only has God set them free, remember they just brought in everything. All the harvest, all the grains, all the fruits, all the veggies. They've stored it in their pantries and their cupboards. That not only has God set them free, but God also, when he set them free, provided what they needed to live and walk in that freedom. He's the one who brought them out of slavery, brought them through the wilderness, and provided them shelters to live in. So this Feast of Tabernacles is not only a reminder that God has set us free, but God will give you what you need to, as, you live to, as you learn to live and walk in that freedom. And it's so important as we come to this festival, as we, we see the purpose of this festival, that it's a reminder, just like the bread and cup is a reminder. This festival is to remind you that God has set you free. If you were a Jewish person back then, you'd be like, yes, this reminds me that our family members, our ancestors were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, but God has set us free. And not only that, but God has given us what we need. He's given me, given my family what we need in order to continue to live and walk in that freedom that he's given to us. So if living in a hut for seven days reminds me of what my life would have been like if God had not set me free, I'll take it. I'll take it because God has set me free. God has set us free. But this feast, this feast was to point to something. It was to point to someone. Go to the book of Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Ultimately, this feast of tabernacles was not just about celebrating the freedom that God had given his people from slavery in Egypt, and not just his provision as they learned to walk and live in this freedom, but ultimately this feast was a point to Jesus. Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 say this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a what? A shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. You see, those feasts were just a shadow. Kind of picture a shadow in your mind. What's a shadow? Yeah, it's 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 like the this physical presence of someone without the presence, right? In the sense of like you see the shadow and ultimately when you look at the shadow, you're to look up. Well, the shadow is the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, if this is the Feast of Tabernacles, you look up, look up who you're supposed to see. Paul says you're supposed to see Jesus. This is all about pointing to Jesus. And so the Feast of Tabernacles was a reminder for God's people of old that God had set them free from being slaves in Egypt and not only set them free, but given them what they needed as they learned to live and walk in that freedom. But ultimately that is to lead you to Jesus if you go to the Gospel of John chapter 8, John chapter 8, listen to what Jesus has to say. He says in verse 34 of John chapter 8, Jesus answers them and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son, referring to himself, so if Jesus sets you free, you are absolutely free. 
That's what he's saying here. If I set you free from the slavery of your own sin, the domination and the control of sin, then if I set you free, then you are absolutely free. However you might feel about it, whatever you might think about it, if Jesus has set you free, then you are free indeed, he says. So ultimately, this feast with the palm branches and the DIY hut and all that stuff was to lead us to Jesus, the one who through his death on the cross and his blood shed on the cross has set us free from the slavery, the control of our own sin. And so in the same way that those palm branches and those temporary shelters would remind God's people that God has set them free and given them what they need to walk in freedom, the bread and the cup do the same for us. They remind us that through Christ's body on that cross and through his blood on that cross, you too can have freedom from those sins that just kind of dominate you. But if you're like me, sometimes you come into communion and just go through the motions. Right? We just come in. Oh, it's communion. That's great. Take the bread, dip it in the juice, eat. What's for lunch? And we forget, right? We forget. And just like God said, I want you to remember that I brought you, I've set you free. And sometimes as followers of Jesus today, we just forget what God, what Jesus has set us free from. Do you realize what your life would be like without Jesus? Now, some of us, I understand, maybe you became a follower of Jesus when you were little, when you were younger. And so you're kind of, it's kind of, well, I didn't like have this testimony of like, no. But if you're like me, and I, I became a follower of Jesus when I was 12, I know what sin tendencies I have now. I know what I struggle with now. And I know without the Spirit of God in me, what my life would probably be like. So for some of us, what has God set us free from, from the things maybe that had control of us before we became a follower. But for others of us, what has God set me free from that I would have become were it not for Jesus? And so let me just remind us a little bit, right? Let me just remind us a little bit of some of the things that we would be like without Jesus. And all these are from Scripture. Most of these come from Ephesians 2. Just imagine that each one of these is like a chain, wrapped around you. Without Jesus, you are a slave who is spiritually dead. Dead. This is who you are without Jesus. This is your heart without Jesus. You are spiritually dead. You're a slave under Satan's control. That same serpent that showed up in the garden and deceived Adam and Eve, you're under his control if you're without Jesus. Without Jesus, you are a slave controlled by your own sinful, selfish desires. This is who you are without Jesus. You're a slave to guilt, a slave to shame. You are a slave to fear. You're a slave to death with no hope beyond this life. You are a slave separated from the very God who made you to reflect him. Without Jesus setting you free, you are a slave, and you're not just separated from God, but he calls you his enemy. This is who I am without Jesus. Without Jesus, we're slaves deserving of God's justice, his judgment in hell. And as the scriptures tell us, without Jesus, you are without hope. Listen, 
That's your Egypt. This is our Egypt without Jesus. But when Jesus sets you free, everything changes. Everything changes. Because Jesus said, if I set you free, then you are absolutely free. Let me describe some of the freedoms. Let's remember some of the freedoms we have in Jesus. You are free from guilt. Jesus has set you free from is guilt plaguing you, guilt from your past, guilt from your present, guilt from maybe an hour ago when you're in the car trying to get here. I don't know. But if you have Jesus, you are free. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are free from shame. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame, Romans 10 says. You are free from God's just wrath. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Thessalonians. You are free from death. Free from death. You are free from being dominated by those chains of sin around you. You are free from trying to keep all the rules of religion to be good enough. Christ has freed you from that. You're free from getting tangled up in all this sin. You're free from Satan's control. You are now free to approach this God who made you to reflect him. You are free to relate to God as his child. You are free to enjoy every spiritual blessing that he's given you in his son, Jesus. You are free to bring your concerns and requests to God. You're free to walk in intimacy with God throughout the rest of your life. You're free to genuinely love others without selfishness. You're free to live out God's purposes in your life. And you are free to enter heaven and the presence of God forever. That's what Jesus has done for you. He has set you free from the chains of slavery and sin. But I just believe there's some of us this morning that although we know that, we still like holding on to some of those chains, those, those sins of comparison, guilt, shame, fear, like we, we kind of, we start holding on to it. Why? Because that's all we've known. This is all you have known. And so you're all about Jesus setting you free, but you're like, I don't know how to walk in freedom because all I know is this, is shame and guilt and fear and comparison. And I'm afraid to let Jesus set me free because I don't know how to walk in that the Feast of Tabernacles was to remind God's people that not only does God set them free, but God will give you what you need as you walk in this freedom. He will give you exactly what you need as you learn to live free from the freedom that he has given you. And so this is what we need to remember when we come to the table this morning, to the bread and the cup. That that little hut with the palm branches reminds us that God doesn't only set you free from sin. He gives you what you need as you learn to walk in freedom from sin. He'll give it to you. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his word. He's given us one another as we learn to enjoy the blessings of freedom that God has given to us. And I don't know if you know this, but later palm branches became a symbol of victory. And that's why when Jesus comes through the city of Jerusalem, they lay the palm branches down. 
in honor of this person we're going to call king. But in the same way, those palm branches reminded God's people to celebrate him for his victory over Egypt and setting them free from sin. The bread and cup remind us of the victory Jesus has given you over the slavery of your sin and the slavery of my sin, that he sets you free. And some of us, maybe we've just gone so cold. We've just heard this so much that it's lost its meaning anymore. Don't forget what you would be like without Jesus, who you would be without Jesus, because the cross means nothing to you if you can't remember what you'd be like without Jesus. But don't stay there. Don't stay thinking about that. Go to Jesus. Just in the same way the Feast of Tabernacles was a shadow, go to Jesus and look at him on the cross, bleeding there for you to set you free from those chains of shame and guilt and comparison and fear, fear of the unknown, and be freed of that. Because that's why Jesus went to the cross. And so in a moment, as you take the bread and take the cup, and the table is only for those who are followers of Jesus this morning. So as you take the bread and take the cup, remember what your king has done for you. Take time, just take a moment to think, what has Jesus set me free from? And maybe it's time to, whatever you're holding on to, that sin or that chain that you're afraid to just release to Jesus and let him, maybe this morning is the time to just confess that to him and say, Jesus, I'm giving this to you. And I'm going to trust, I'm going to believe that the very one who set me free from sin will give me what I need to walk in this freedom. Maybe for you, that's what you need to do this morning. But I'm going to invite the band to come. And I just want us to pause for a moment and just take time to remember what Jesus has set us free from. And then take time in your own heart to thank him, to thank him. Jesus said this. Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son, if Jesus has set you free, then you are free. You are absolutely free. So right where you sit, just pause for a moment and just talk to him. As you prepare your heart to take the bread, which represents his body, and the juice, which represents his blood, poured out on the cross to free you. And when your heart is ready, you make your way to the table, and you thank Jesus for his freedom, for setting you free this morning.